Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Will the sharp rally that we've seen in US markets since June turn out to be just a pause in a bear market? After this welcome dawn, could we see share prices slide for the second half of the year as profits weaken, interest rates keep rising and the economy slows? From the US, we'll turn to China and ask to what extent is the economy declining? Are the latest indicators alarming? And how will this impact global demand if Chinese businesses are flashing signs of a lack of confidence? How could this impact the world economy? And then we move to the topic of oil. Is demand for oil running out of steam? Citigroup said earlier this week that crude oil could collapse to $65 per barrel by the end of 2022 if a recession reduces global demand. And our guest and his team has published a note arguing that the correlation between Bitcoin and the equity market is weakening. We'll get to the arguments later in the program. But first, let's welcome Tony Sycamore, Senior Market Analyst at City Index. It's been too long, Tony. Good morning, Michelle. It has indeed. Great to speak with you on air again. Now, will the U.S. stock market extend its longest winning streak of the year, in your opinion, or slip back? J.P. Morgan says this rally has legs, but Morgan Stanley disagrees. Where do you stand, Tony? Well, it's a great question. And I think when you look at what's driven the rally during the start of the second half of this year, it has been because of better than expected earnings. And of course, the downside surprise in U.S. CPI data which has raised hopes that we're getting past peak inflation and that also peak Fed hawkishness is not far from following. Now, when we look at what the facts are behind that argument, in terms of inflation, if we were to get flat or zero month-on-month changes between now and December, the annual inflation rate in the US is going to end the year at around 6%, which is considerably lower than that 9.1% high print we saw in June, but still well above the Fed's target. But I think when you start looking out there, there is certainly a less apocalyptic bearish view of stocks and that has driven the stock market rally. When I look at where the stock, the S&P 500 for instance, I've got a mildly positive bias in place and we had that from late June. We were looking for a, a nice bear market rally and the question which I think probably sits between the two big banks which you mentioned is, is this still a bear market rally or is this a more sustainable rally? And for me, I have a mild positive bias in place. I thought we were starting to see some loss of momentum starting to develop early last week. But the CPI number, just absolutely, the reaction post that overshadowed that and the upside momentum has continued. We're now looking at the 200-day moving average, which sits at 43.20 in the S&P 500. And the S&P hasn't closed above there since early April. It really is a big one. All the institutional funds, which I have spoken to and, and traded with in the past, they all watch this 200-day moving average. So I'd expect there to be some sellers lurking up around that area. But if it was to break above there, then I think you could possibly see some FOMO come into play for year-end. And you also have cash levels sitting fairly high as well compared to historical averages. So this morning we were looking at CNN and it's published an article saying the U.S. economy didn't quite get the recession memo. We've seen strong employment numbers, falling petrol prices. Are are these enough reason for optimism? Well, there there is. There's falling petrol prices. The unemployment uh, is extremely low. The labour market extremely tight. And of course, we had that technical definition of a recession fulfilled. But with the labour market so tight, you can't really call it a proper recession. And 
I, I think that when you look at the fact that oil prices have dropped so significantly um, and we still have to negotiate a lot of twists and turns into year end between things like interest rate rises, uh, earnings revisions, which still could eventuate into the, the, the quarter quarter three, uh, we need to see what happens with inflation. Of course, the driver of inflation or the fall in inflation has been energy prices or oil prices. And there's a lot of water to go under the bridge into year end. So all those things remain fluid, if you like. But look, things are certainly looking better. I Mm. think the tail risks have been removed. And at the very least, I would not expect US equities to get back down to those lows we saw in June. This morning, we were looking at earnings in the US retail sector. So Walmart grossing more than $150 billion. Home Depot reporting strong profits. Broadly, which market or sector do you see the best value in the US? I, when I start to look at where I see value in this market, and I certainly wouldn't be chasing tech stocks after they've had such a strong rally, and the fact that we are still looking at further interest rate hikes, uh, 75 basis points expected by the Fed when it meets next month. So I'm not a chaser of the tech stocks. They've done very, very well. Where I see the value is in energy and agricultural stocks because mm-hmm. we've got one of the warmest summers on record in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you have production questions, export questions. There's challenges around supplies and export availability. All those sorts of things remain part of the puzzle. European gas prices absolutely phenomenally high. That impacts fertilizer, impacts production. And all of those sorts of things say to me, look, crude oil, which I think we're going to chat about in just a moment, Mm -hmm. has fallen a long way. But where do the risks lie? And I think the risks lie to the upside for these uh, particular energies, for agricultural stocks, because the fact they have pulled back so much. And that is where I see the biggest opportunity at this point of time. It's also a nice hedge against tail risk as well, because if something untoward happens in Europe, of course, you've got that energy exposure, crude oil sitting at $87, $88, a long way from that $130 high we saw there in March. All right, from the US, let's swing to China. China's central bank recently unexpectedly cut its key interest rates, ramping up support for an economy, some say flashing alarming signs of just how much it's being weighed down by COVID lockdowns and that deepening property downturn as well. What is your view on the Chinese economy? Well, it's it's not particularly optimistic would be the best way of describing it, particularly when there is still pursuit of COVID zero. And yes, you can cut interest rates, but what did that interest rate cut actually do? Well, we know it was because of the weak domestic data that we saw, but it does enlarge the differentials between Chinese interest rates and US interest rates. There's clearly a divergent central bank uh, interest rate story going on there. So that propelled dollar C&H and dollar C&Y higher. Um, which is, I guess, a good thing for the Chinese economy because it makes their exports cheaper. But for the stock markets, the impact of an interest rate cut when you're still pursuing COVID zero and the property market is still dour, is probably uh, one way of describing it, Mm. it just doesn't have that same impact. So my outlook is, look, it, it, it is one that you just have to be aware of that if for whatever reason the Chinese authorities remove the pursuit of COVID zero, U.S. stocks could absolutely explode. But right here, right now, it's one to just stay on the sideline with, I think, and you have to let this play out. Maybe it's not until March or April next year that those, uh, those strategies around COVID change. Let's look at what seems to be a rush to leave the U.S. market for China stocks with U.S. listings. So China state-owned enterprises that plan to delist from U.S. stock markets include PetroChina, 
and which dropped 3.4% on the back of that news. And China Life Insurance Company and China Petroleum and Chemical Corp. Now, when you look at these delistings, what do you see as the possible ramifications of on, on these stocks? Well, at the very, I guess the background to that is obviously rising bilateral tensions and the fact that there is a dispute between American regulators wanting better access to Chinese firms' financial data. And obviously the Chinese firms are very reluctant to pass that information on. In terms of what it means for the market for mm. these stocks, well, the volumes aren't particularly great. They trade, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're low volume in terms of the volumes they turn over on the U.S. market. So that wouldn't be the biggest hit, but it is a hit to sentiment, and it does show that we're getting this more bipolar world starting to uh, to explore, you know, different avenues, and and that's where I think it's a sentiment thing. So I would expect it to keep those stocks a little bit weaker. Um, but in terms of the actual net effect, well, the volumes are very low there anyway. So it's not going to make that much difference for anybody that actually wants to go in there and trade them. Is it possible for China to revive its economy if it keeps on this COVID zero, no tolerance for COVID policy moving forward? No, there's, 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 there's no way, unfortunately. And that's the truth of the matter, because it doesn't matter how much fiscal spending you outlay. It doesn't matter how much you ease credit. It doesn't matter how much you lower interest rates. When you've got the economy operating with these restrictions, mm. it just can't grow. And, and, and at best, we're going to be looking at tepid growth into year end. Um, and that, look, it's not going to, I don't think we've, if we got tepid growth into year end, I think that would be a really, really good outcome for the Chinese market. Because as we saw with the Shanghai lockdowns, when everything locks up, it just, it, it just, you know, it, it bottlenecks the entire world, and that's the biggest risk. So the best outcome is tepid growth. Things keep chugging along under this COVID zero regime, and potentially next year we start to see those restrictions ease. When the Ukraine invasion first started, everyone was focused on the supply side of price of oil, but now attention seems to be focusing on the demand factors. Citigroup has a note out, you know, saying crude oil could collapse to $65 per barrel by the end of 2022. Do you expect oil to continue to trend lower? Well, there's, there's no doubt there is a risk that crude oil could fall down into the 70s or the $60, but that is purely dependent on a recession. Now, when we look at Europe, yep, we're going to get a recession over there. But again, when we return to the US, it's in extremely, well, it's in a good place. We're getting this middle ground now where some of the economic data is not too hot, not too cold. Some's weak. Housing prices were obviously, the housing data last night was very, very weak, but the IP data was very, very strong. Um, the labour market's strong. So, Yes, it is a tail risk, but the base case scenario is the US economy remains in a pretty good way. Things are going to start to look better for China early next year. Europe, I think we know, is going into recession. I think that's baked into the cake. And where I see crude oil is, look, we have this uh, discussions with Iran, a possible nuclear deal, which would see Iran allow more import, oh, more exports into the rest of the world. That's also starting to be priced in. I see the risks now as being to the upside because for those reasons we mentioned, look, Europe's going into recession, but the rest of the world is, is chugging along okay. And that suggests that the demand fall-off will not be as great as expected. It also is operating in a backdrop where strategic petroleum reserves, the releases are very, very close to ending, and we still have a very tight market there. So my base case is that 
somewhere in the next week or so, we're looking for a low in crude oil. I, I don't see it going much below $85, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and I would expect to see, if it could get back above $95, Michelle, I think that signals that we're going to get back up towards $115, $120. So that's my base case. Crude oil is looking for a low. There is a tail risk associated. There's a tail risk in all markets, of course, but mm. I see the risk as being to the upside more to the downside. All right, let's turn now to Bitcoin. There was a time when people pointed to the correlation between Bitcoin and equity markets to sort of undercut the argument that Bitcoin could be an effective hedge in markets. You've written an article noting that the correlation between NASDAQ and Bitcoin has softened to its lowest level in some time. What do you see flashing when you look at Bitcoin prices recently? Well, it's absolutely right. So when we look at the correlation between Bitcoin and NASDAQ for the first half of this year, it was extremely tight. They were moving in lockstep, basically. So if NASDAQ rallied, Bitcoin would rally by a factor of X because it's the high octane fuel version, if you like, of the NASDAQ. Uh, But right now, when we look at where the NASDAQ is, trading up around 13,600, the last time the NASDAQ was up there, Bitcoin was trading north of $40,000. And here we are languishing at around $24,000. So for me, the correlation is now effectively broken. How long do these correlations decouple for? Well, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months. But I think what's really weighing on Bitcoin, firstly, is sentiment, is still dour um, after the, the, the... I guess the challenges that we saw there with Celsius and Terra into the middle or in the middle of, I guess, going between May and June of this year. So there's still a sentiment issue. But the other issue, of course, is as we've chatted about, the markets more broadly are really weighing up the possibility of recession versus interest rate hikes and high inflation. So all of these things present a headwind to Bitcoin. I think for Bitcoin to actually see uh, a recoupling towards where the NASDAQ is mm-hmm. and for that correlation to reassert itself, the market's got to start to become convinced that the Fed is going to pause interest rate hikes and start to cut interest rate hikes. And at one point of time, the US interest rate market was moving very aggressively towards interest rate cuts in the first half of next year. But then you had Fed speakers coming out saying, look, the whole possibility of interest rate cuts next year is completely unrealistic, unlikely. And that is when, for me, that was the final nail in the coffin there for that Mm. Bitcoin NASDAQ correlation. Until the next time we speak. Hey, fabulous speaking with you as always, Tony. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure, Michelle. Thank you for having me. He's Tony Sycamore, Senior Market Analyst at City Index. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.